Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. If we haven't met, my name is Terry Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Life Christian Church. I'm going to speak for 20 or so minutes, and then we're going to come together around the Lord's table and receive communion. Um, So, A few moments ago, Kevin Torres led us in a responsive reading of one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, the Revelation, the fifth chapter. We actually read it, all of it, together here a few moments ago. And it's one of those passages of Scripture that kinds of of pulls everything in history together. Everything, particularly in in God's redemptive history, it gives us a sense of everything coming together as God intended for it to come together and all of it coming together through Jesus Christ. But if you've not studied this passage or looked into it uh, uh, very much, it might be difficult to understand it. It's caught up in the apocalyptic language of the Revelation. You know, I think probably most of you, to some extent, what's going on here. John has been exiled to Patmos, and he's praying, and he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I was caught up into heaven. That's in Revelation 1. And uh, he talks about this encounter he has with Jesus He talks about uh, some letters that are dictated to him to write to to the churches, and then he begins to talk about his experience before the throne of God in heaven. Uh, it's mystical. Uh, it's it's um, it's beautiful. It's it's uh, it's it's awesome and awful in in some ways. Uh, but he's standing before the throne in Revelation, the fifth chapter. And he says that he saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll that was sealed with seven seals. And he said that he noticed that this scroll had writing on both sides. And that a mighty angel came out. And this angel said, who is worthy? Who is worthy to take the scroll and to break the seals and to open it. And this angel said that that they looked for someone who was worthy to take the scroll, break the seals, and open it. They looked for someone in heaven, and they couldn't find anybody. They looked on earth, and they couldn't find anybody. And they looked under the earth, and they couldn't find anybody. And then John says, one of the most poignant statements in all of Scripture, John, standing before the throne of God in heaven, says, I wept and I wept. One translation has John saying, I wept with disappointment. Another translation says, I wept much. John is standing in the presence of God in heaven before God's throne, and he's crying. Why did John cry? Well, John understood what the scroll represented because there is a thread all through Scripture of what the scroll represented. A scroll in biblical times, both Old and New Testaments, sealed in this way and in this context, 
represented a legal document detailing something that had been lost but that could be redeemed if someone had the worth necessary and the desire to pay the price for redemption. In biblical times, when someone lost their property, whatever was lost would be written on a scroll and then witnessed, sealed, and kept wherever legal records were kept. Let's say the the archives in a particular town where someone lived, town hall, or in Jerusalem there were seasons where this happened actually uh, in the temple as I understand it, and particularly then a copy would be made of whatever was written in that scroll and now sealed. A copy would be made and and displayed in a public place where anyone who was qualified to redeem the thing that had been lost could look at this scroll and the writing on the scroll and see what had been lost and know the price that was necessary to redeem the lost thing. And when they redeemed the lost thing, paid what was necessary, assuming they had the necessary worth to do so, they, someone would then go and they would get the scroll in the archives and they'd bring it out and they'd break the scroll, the seals, and it would be noted that someone had redeemed the lost thing. So it seems that when John saw God sitting on the throne with a scroll in his hands that was sealed with seven seals, he understood that that scroll symbolized what had been lost from humanity in the beginning, what God had wanted for people and what had been lost by people. What did humanity have in the beginning? What was lost? Well, You are aware that in the beginning, God created human beings in his image, and he placed them in a literal paradise. You're aware that humanity was living under the blessing of God, which meant everything, that this blessing showed up in in a harmonious relationship with God so precious that the man and woman were able to walk with God and talk with God in the garden every day. This blessing showed up in their relationships with one another. They were fully transparent with one another and had no shame. This blessing showed up in their work. They worked so purposefully and joyfully in alignment with God's plans for their lives that they didn't even sweat. This blessing showed up in their health. They were not sick or in pain. This blessing showed up in their resources. They had everything they needed and more. There was no sin. There was no suffering. There was no sorrow. There was no death. And humanity was in the beginning of fulfilling its purposes. I like to say that God had a twofold uh, purpose for humanity. I'm not the only one who says this. This is widely said that that when God created people and purposed them, remember he blessed them as we've talked a lot about in the last few months, and then he purposed them. When he purposed them, he essentially gave them a twofold purpose. I like to say it like this. He created them to, to, to uh, uh, rule and to relate. 
He created them to be rulers, to govern the planet he'd made in partnership with him, and to be in relationship with him in intimacy. One way that this is carried out through Scripture is a constant reference to God's desire for his people to be kings and priests, people partnering with him in governing the planet, and people who are in intimate relationship with him. And they're worshipers and they're workers, if you please. And really, this is there's not time to dig into this tonight, though I have in the past. This is really important to understand humanity's vocation. So they, they had all this beauty in the garden, and they were doing what they were made to do, partnering with God, caring for the garden, uh, being prepared to spread what they had there over the earth by multiplying and replenish the earth and then governing. And then, of course, they lost what God had given them. And they lost what God had given them because of their own choice. God decided they could decide whether or not they wanted what he had decided for them or whether or not they wanted to make their own decisions and go their own way. And humanity decided to go their own way, falling uh, uh, prey to the temptation of the evil one. And one way that uh, scholars and and, uh, theologians and people just trying to explain this will speak to what happened at that moment is it's as if that humanity gave the title deed to this planet to the evil one who ends up supplanting the role that humanity was supposed to play. This is why, by the way, Satan is called small g, God of this world, or prince of the power of the air, because he took the title deed, if you please, and took what humanity lost, and he kept it for himself. But, of course, God's plan was to redeem it. So, why did John cry? I think that's the question I was trying to get at it a moment ago. You're probably thinking, did he forget the question that he asked? Kind of, but I'm back. Why did John cry? Because that scroll represented life as it was meant to be. That scroll represented what God wanted for people in the beginning. And by the way, part of what happens in Revelation from this point forward is that as the seals are broken, justice is done, which, which has to do with punishment on the evil one, which is part of life being as it meant to be, is God sets everything right in the world. But the scroll itself, written on the inside and written on the outside, represented everything that God had intended. I, I was reading a scholar, Craig Keener, in his uh, commentary on the Revelation. And Keener, a highly regarded scholar, says that the reason that this scroll was written on the inside and on the outside, which wasn't normal, was written on the inside and the outside, is because God had planned so many wonderful things for people that he didn't have enough paper just on one side. It's like God needed more paper. He writes it on the inside, he writes it on the outside, and now it's sealed because humanity has lost what God had intended. And so they're looking for someone who's worthy to open the scroll. And they look in heaven and they look on earth and they look under the earth and they can't find anybody. See, John wept because nobody was worthy to take the scroll and to break the seals. John was crying because John knew that humanity needed a redeemer. See, redeeming things that are lost is extremely important to God. 
I mean, this redemption thread finds its way through Scripture in all kinds of ways, all foreshadowing Jesus Christ. But an example of that would be that when God's physical children, the children of Israel, the the Jews, were led from Egypt through the wilderness across the Jordan and into the promised land, that the people writ large were given this land. It was what God had promised them. Listen, guys, when God promises something, he doesn't like change his mind later. He's always about bringing back what he promised if it gets lost. And so he promises his people the land, but he doesn't just promise the people the land. By the way, a lot of history has been about God's people getting their land back. This is still going on, you know, thousands of years later, subject for another day. But he didn't just promise his people a land, but within the, the, the children of Israel, every tribe was given a portion of land, and then every family with every tribe was given a portion of land. And so what would happen then if some family who was a part of Israel writ large would lose the property they had been given, which happens, right? If, if they fell into a, a, a financial uh, uh, disarray, if they weren't able to pay their bills, if they got foreclosed on because they, they overbuilt on their, whatever, if they lost what had been given them, God had, and this is one example of this through scripture. God had plans, multiple plans in place for that to be, for that, what was lost to be redeemed. Multiple plans. First of all, he had this thing called Jubilee. Jubilee said that every 50 years, the children of Israel were to celebrate Jubilee and everything that had been lost by anybody reverted back to the person who had lost it. Why? Why does God have Jubilee? Because God wants his people to have what he promised them, even if they screw up in some way and lose it. He says every 50 years, I'm going to make sure everybody and their descendants get back what I wanted them to have in the first place. Now, the problem is there's actually no record of a jubilee ever being celebrated. Again, a subject for another day. But... um, That doesn't mean it wasn't, but we don't have any evidence it ever was, but it tells you something about the heart of God. Then there was another thing. A person who had been given the thing in the beginning by God could always go to the public place where there was this record of what they had lost and the the price it would cost to, to buy it back, and if their worth has increased to the place where they could pay the price of redemption, they could redeem it. They all, it didn't matter who owned it. It didn't matter if Bill Gates had built a house on that person's property. It didn't matter. At any time, they could go back, and as long as they could pay the price, they could redeem what was supposed to have been theirs. And somebody would go, and they'd get the scroll from the archives, and they'd break the seals, and they'd do whatever you needed to do to hand it back to the person and say, redeemed. This is what God wanted you to have in the first place. And then, you know, because usually when somebody was in that bad of shape, they couldn't redeem something that they'd lost themselves. There was this other thing called a kinsman redeemer. How many of you have ever heard of a kinsman redeemer? The kinsman redeemer, for both of you who've heard of that, uh, the kinsman, re- I can't really see that well, so probably 100 people raise their hands. I'm kidding. The kinsman redeemer was someone who was a close relative who met certain conditions. Now, first of all, 
technically the kinsman redeemer had to be the closest male relative. Sorry, I know that's not the way it would be done or should be done now, but that's the way it was done in, in those days. The closest male relative could at any time redeem what had been lost by their nearest kinsman. But many times the closest relative didn't want to, and he would give up his right to do that, and then another kinsman would do that. For instance, if you remember the story in the Old Testament of Boaz and Ruth, Boaz wasn't the nearest kinsman redeemer to Ruth. The, the nearest kinsman gave up his right, and Boaz said, I I have the worth to pay what's necessary to redeem her from slavery, and, and the nearest kinsman doesn't want to do it or can't do it, and I want to because I love her. And so the kinsman redeemer had to be a kinsman, had to have the worth necessary to pay the price of redemption, and had to want to do it, okay? Here's the bottom line, though. God is saying, if what I gave someone got lost and it's written on a scroll sealed in the archives, anybody can look at the necessary price who meets these conditions and redeem what was lost. And so John says, we couldn't find anybody to redeem us. And I wept and I wept. But then one of the four and twenty elders who's standing there at the throne, four and twenty elders representing the church, one of the elders says, wait a second, John, wait a second, stop crying. He said, in fact, literally, here's what the scripture says. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. I mean, guys, you got to get this picture in your mind. Here stands John in heaven before the throne of God, and the guy is sobbing. And one of the four elders says, stop crying. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root and the offspring of David. Now, we know he's talking now about who? Jesus Christ, who was the beginning of David as God and the offspring of David born in Bethlehem by Mary, a descendant of David, this elder says, John, stop crying. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John said, I looked, and there standing before the throne was a lamb as it had been slain from the foundation of the earth. I mean, guys, this is just too amazing to even describe the elder who knew the whole story, saw a lion, but when John looked, he saw a lamb. What did he see? He saw the God of the universe who had become the sacrifice for the sins of humanity. He saw the God of the universe who became humanity's nearest kinsman. In fact, Jesus called himself our brother. He became the lamb that was slain, which was the price that was necessary to buy back what humanity had lost in the beginning. And he was worthy. He was worthy to take the scroll and to break the seals thereof. And John said, I looked and this lamb who clearly had been crucified. And by the way, John had watched him 
be crucified. He said this lamb who had the marks of crucifixion stepped forward. That's what the text says. And he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And then John said, the atmospherics of heaven completely changed at that moment. That's not literally what he said. That's what I said that I think he was saying when he said that when he took when he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, he said all of a sudden, everybody in this whole scene, the four and 20 elders and these living creatures who were praising God before the throne, all of them together started to sing a new song. I just like the fact that he says it's a new song. Why is it a new song? It's a song that had never been able to be sung before. These lyrics were just now being written. No one had ever been able to say what they began to sing in this song what did they sing you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God members of every tribe and language and people and nation you have made them here we are back restored to our purpose to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. That's what God wanted in the beginning. And John said, now he's not crying anymore. You get a sense, he's starting to dance maybe a little bit. He's looking around now and he sees that the human dilemma has been resolved by this lamb who was slain. And he said, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. How many angels, John? Two or three? No, no. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, angels numbering thousands upon thousands. Is that all? No. Oh, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and every creature on earth and every creature under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever so one question is why did John cry and the next question is why did John stop crying because the Redeemer God who became our brother, who had all the worth of the universe, who could pay the price that we could not pay. We got ourselves in such a mess that we couldn't redeem ourselves. And so God says, I'm going to send a kinsman redeemer who is going to do for you what you cannot do. And he is worthy. He has inherent worth. And because he is a sinless man, he can pay the price that needs to be paid. And furthermore, he wants to. He wants to because he loves you. And God, as you guys have heard me say many, many times, was determined to have in the end what he wanted in the beginning. Now see, what should that mean for us tonight? First of all, I think there are some times when, you know, pastors are taught to make sure there's practical application at the end of your sermon. And I do that most weeks. I think, I don't know, I try. And I probably do that here in a moment because it's instinctive for me. But sometimes I think we just need to read Scripture and just say, wow, wow, wow. 
worthy is the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Sometimes we just need to respond to who God is and what God's done by breaking out in song, by joining with every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every creature in the sea and just saying, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. But there's another part, and it's, it's maybe, I think that's practical, but this is practical too. When we think about the heart of God for redemption, and we think about what God wanted for people in the beginning, and when we think about what God wants for people in the end, it should inform the way we think about our lives today. It gives us a hint that any reversal of fortune you have experienced, God's heart is to redeem it. Any loss you have suffered, God's heart is to redeem it. Any setback you've had, God's heart is to put you back on track. Anything that's less than life and all of its fullness, God is determined to give you what Jesus promised when he promised us life and all of its fullness, more and better life than we ever dreamed of. God's heart is always moving towards redemption. In fact, Jesus has already paid the price for you to have every good thing God has ever promised for you in your life. 